Welcome to season two. I'm Chelsea Clark, and today we are kicking off season two of the Her Paper Root podcast with a very special guest. The Queen Ash Amberger is here, and she is singing the gospel for how you can trash your imposter syndrome and live the unfuckwithable life that you deserve. Ugh, this episode is crazy. Let's go. You're listening to the Her Paper Root Podcast, a show all about money and entrepreneurship with host Chelsea Clark. Chelsea is a marketing strategist and the founder of HerPaperRoot.com, a friendly and supportive hive for ambitious, passionate entrepreneurs like you to learn how to growth hack your idea into a profitable business. We encourage you to fearlessly tackle your wildest goals. We know that as your own boss, you can deliver your unique message and make more paper. You just need a plan. Here's your host, Chelsea Clark. I am so thrilled to have today's guest here with us. Ash Amberger is a force of nature like no other. Ash is an entrepreneur, speaker, and self-proclaimed advocate for disobedient women. She is the founder of the Middle Finger Project and author of the book by the same name. Through her work, she has crafted a life that allows her to live fully on her own terms and travel the world doing what she loves, all the while inspiring women everywhere to follow their dangerous ideas towards personal freedom to create a story that is worth telling. Welcome to the show, Ash. Oh my God, you make me sound so cool, Chels. <laughs> well, you are so cool. <laughs> you are the coolest chick. I love it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It is just wonderful to get to chat with you. So I've been following you actually for a few years. I've been on your mail list and I've been reading your blog. And I actually just today realized I wasn't following you on Instagram. So I just followed you today. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I missed that. (laughs) But yeah, like you are just out there. You're killing it. And congratulations because the Middle Finger Project book just came out today, February 11th, 2020. So congratulations on your book launch. I never knew that the February 11th would like be an important date for me for the rest of my life. Yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, right in time for Valentine's Day. Yeah, that's important. When you travel to go visit your girlfriends all over the world too, don't you? Oh my God, it has been so hard. And really for book launch, I was like, okay, um, what do you do when your girlfriends are all over the world? How do you have just one party? It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> And also, thank you for sending me a copy of it a few weeks ago, because I felt like a secret agent getting to read it before anyone else. And it is so good. I love it. So please tell us about your book. Who should be reading it? Oh, my gosh. Thank you, first of all. And second of all, I wrote this book for the small town girls, the woman who is getting her ass kicked right now, anyone who's been through the hard, who isn't sure of themselves, who is thinking about doing something different with their life, but they're not sure what they uh, they aren't sure if they should quit their cushy job uh, because there's health insurance involved. They don't know if they should pursue their passion. They have a lot of family members and people that love them typically who are kind of like looking out for their best interests and uh, maybe encouraging them not to do those things. So this book is really my attempt at being the world's big sister, the the world's big uh, potty mouth sister. (laughs) 
That's a great way to put it. I love uh, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if anyone can do it, I mean, it's you because I've done it. And um, I feel like if I did it, coming from a rural trailer park in Pennsylvania and going on to have this really cool career that I've made myself, uh, you definitely can too. Yes. Your book is packed with powerful, practical advice and encouragement for women to pursue their passions, details, how you made your plan your reality. And it's smart and it's funny. It also follows your journey from a very young age, seeing you deal with personal obstacles along the way, and you tell it in a way that is so intimate and real, it's like we're watching it all happen. So I have to ask, what was that process like for you, writing this book, having to go back in your memory to relive all of those tough times? Oh my goodness. Thank thank you for that lovely description. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, you know, that was the fun part. I loved writing this book. I love writing in general. Uh, But the biggest challenge when we first started this project was how can we combine memoir Mm. with self-help? Because typically it's one genre or the other, right? And in the beginning, we had some interesting feedback from some just kind of like literary agent friends with my literary agency who were kind of like, nope, not going to work. It needs to be clearly defined. No one's going to buy it if they don't know where to put it. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And we felt really strong about the vision for this, this mix. I did. I really wanted it to be a fun read. You know, God, so many times you pick up a self-help book and it's like, oh Jesus, it's so basic. (laughs) It's like this one little idea and then tons of quotes from a million other people. And it's, I I can't, I can't even. And then sometimes you pick up memoir and memoir is really nice too, but sometimes it's just so self-important and just kind of like, all right, well, what am I getting out of this as the reader? Right. Yeah. My whole goal with this was to figure out a way that I could write something where I could take experiences, in particular experiences learning how to make my own money and carve my own path and how I could take those and write about those in a way that would, would speak to our greater universal experience and say, so here's what happened and here's what I think that means. And here's why that matters for all of us and make, you know, readers reflect on their own experiences and learn something along the way. So hopefully I've succeeded (laughs) in that goal, but it was a blast. I would do this 10,000 times over. Well, I hope that you do. And I can't imagine this book being just one way or the other. Like it just totally makes sense with it being the two niches together. Like it just, you couldn't have just been one way or the other. So I'm glad that you guys stuck to your guns and made the book that you wanted to create. Thanks. It feels very similar to just kind of how I write in general. It's very much driven by personal experiences, but then there's always the tangible takeaway. What does this, what does this mean for anybody? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And you have said in the book, and I have a quote here, if you aren't failing 105 times, you have lost 105 times to be happy. So how does failing and having multiple false starts help one find their true passion or calling? (laughs) You know, you just cannot find your passion in your living room, man. (laughs) You can't. And so many of us, so many of the people I talk to, my own girlfriends are like, oh, I want to do something else with my work and my life, but I don't know what. I don't feel passionate about anything. And meanwhile, they're sitting at their house, like just sitting there hoping that it's going to come to them. 
And it's not, it, it can't, it won't ever happen. So I'm a huge advocate for doing the really, oh, like uncomfortable, scary thing you don't want to be doing. But you, even if it's as simple as going to a bar class, I went to my first bar class yesterday and I was like, God, there's going to be all these girls in these tiny little tank tops and I'm going to look <laughs> like a whale. <laughs> But I got to do it. I got to do it. And I will feel so much more confident after I do. And I'm, it's, I'm one step closer to figuring out what I like in life. And uh, so I think one of these days I'm going to have to put together like an adult, I don't know, an adult internship program or some kind of an adult program that you go through and you try like 105 different things to figure out, you know, what your compass is. What do you, what do you actually like doing? And how will you ever know if you've never done it? Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So every time you do something and you hate it, I think, great, good. Now that I know that, I can move on to the next thing. <laughs> it's like when you're trying and you don't need to be afraid to make mistakes. And, you know, if you're a beginner, you can afford to make mistakes. That's okay. You know, like that's how you'll figure it out as you go. And you explain that um, in your book as well. And I just, I love that because I think a lot of people need to hear that. Yeah, I think it does get harder when, you know, the more experience you have, if you've put 10 years toward a career, you kind of look at yourself as having reached a certain level within that career, um, especially people like doctors and lawyers. They struggle with this a lot. They've put a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort that essentially they feel like they're flushing down the drain. But, um, you know, two things on that. The first is that no matter what you do next, like the opportunity cost, it's, 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 you, you've already lost that time. There's no getting it back no matter what. So would you now rather spend the next 40 years of your life hating them too? Or would you rather just, you know, take the loss of the 10 and move on? I think it's such an important thing to think about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then the other piece of that is just simply like you would be amazed at how much you're Previous experiences, even though they might seem unrelated, really help you with everything else you do. It's amazing. Nothing is ever for naught. It's always going to come back around. Like me working in marketing and advertising sales, I, I never realized that that was going to be such an important skill set for me in later selling myself and figuring out how to do all of this in this other capacity. There is a ton more coming up on today's episode, but first I want to quickly thank our sponsors for making this show possible. Stop being a scattered, overwhelmed business owner and get your projects in order once and for all. I recently switched my business over to HoneyBook and now it manages all of my projects, clients, invoices, appointments, and important contracts all under one roof. I honestly don't know how I was managing before HoneyBook. I'm so excited about this tool that I'm giving away a special 50% off bonus to everyone who goes over to herpaperroot.com HoneyBook right now and signs up for a free trial. You'll get a free trial to test everything out and then if you decide to upgrade, you will get 50% off your first year. That's over $280 for free. So head on over to herpaperroot.com honeybook to cash in on this offer. Do you want to buy a blog that is already making money? Or maybe you want to sell your blog. In addition to running this podcast, I also run a business helping bloggers buy and sell their websites. Come and see our current listings at blogsforsale.co. And if you are interested in selling your blog with us, fill out the form there to get a free valuation where we can discover what price your blog could sell for. That's at blogsforsale.co. 
publishing a book like this, because it is kind of like a memoir, was this a lifetime dream of yours? My mom and my dad and I used to drive up to something called the Vestal Town Square Mall from our tiny little town um, on the weekends. And my dad would go to Dick's Sporting Goods and my mom would go into AC Moore and I would go into the Barnes and Noble and I would just sit there and read. And something about it just felt like I was surrounded by all of these wizards who had written these things. And it was this gateway to the outside world. And for me, it was it was such a magical thing. And I could never imagine myself being a part of it. Now here I am and it's bananas. Yeah, it's so cool. It's so good. You're so deserving of it. <laughs> bananas! <laughs> bananas! And also, like, this chat is all about you, but I must say that you and I have some parallels because we both came from small town, dare I say, low income upbringing. We both landed scholarships based on creative merit and financial need that led us to higher education. We both found ourselves in corporate marketing jobs that we abandoned to pursue things <laughs> that really fire us up and give us that freedom. And then we took our blogs and made them a priority, which ended up turning into full-fledged businesses. So I kind of feel like you're like a sister from another mister. So that is very cool. That's amazing. <laughs> the parallels there are just uncanny. That's wild. <laughs> and I have a feeling, I do suspect there are a lot of women out there who are just like us. I talk to women all day long who are like, you know what? It's not like I hit rock bottom. Actually, my life is like, okay. But that's the bigger problem is that they're doing their, you know, marketing job and sitting there going, going, uh, well, I mean, things aren't that bad. So shouldn't I just be grateful? And mm -hmm. it, it keeps them in that trap. That's right. Like when did you kind of just know that that regular nine to five life was not going to fly for you? <laughs> well, <laughs> like even when you were little? No, no. In the beginning, it was different. In the beginning, I mean, <laughs> coming from that that small town and it's a very blue collar, hardworking town. Um, you know, I watched my parents struggle a lot. My mom was uh, clinically disabled with a severe social anxiety disorder. So she really didn't leave the house much. Uh, my dad passed away when I was in eighth grade. So there my mom and I were, and I didn't really have any role models for what it looked like to be happy with your job and your career and to be successful in that way. So when my mom died, when I was in college, I, uh, I just took it as an opportunity. I knew that I could either spend the rest of my life working as a cashier at the Dollar General, right? Or I could just take the leap and I did. And I went to Philadelphia on, on this mission really to figure out what it meant to live a good life and do work that you were proud of. Yes. And right. And so originally I actually started off with the intention to pretty much create the middle class project, if you will, <laughs> not the middle finger project at all. Um, I, I, I went there, I wanted to look at how normal people lived and Anyone in a city who had a full-time nine-to-five job to me was like killing it. I'm like, you know, they're drinking pomegranate martinis. <laughs> they have these fancy BMW cars with these leases and they drink their Starbucks. And I was just enamored by all of it. And uh, it wasn't until, I mean, I think the cracks started to show in my first job actually in marketing 
I had this boss. I worshipped him. He was amazing. He was so sweet. I felt like the Dalai Lama was delivering me my paycheck every week. <laughs> and one day I walked in and I saw him uh, straddling my coworker's lap. Well, I actually think it was the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute. <laughs> it was described differently in your book. <laughs> yes, yes. And that was the first time. I don't know why it hit me so hard. I think I was really naive, but I always assumed that these adults had all the answers and they were these all-knowing people who had it all figured out. And for some reason, that just registered with me as being like not at all put together. <laughs> right, right. And I don't know if you mentioned, but he was married, so that was that was the thing that. Right, and his wife had cancer, and he had three kids, and the whole thing just it shattered me as this young girl. And I, it's this the crack started there. I quit soon after. I went and did my job in advertising, and that was where it was kind of like, okay, uh, I'm doing well relatively speaking, compared to all the other account executives. But what is my purpose now? Now I'm just existing to make some big faceless company a bunch of money. And that felt just so shallow. It was like, God, is this really it? Is mm-hmm. is this what I worked my whole life to get to? And uh, yeah, and then we had the, the, the final straw. There was a day when I met with a client that was the final straw for me. And that was the impetus for starting the Middle Finger Project. Yes. And anyone who's listening, for people who are just starting their business, thinking about you in those first couple months or first years of starting the Middle Finger Project and starting your business, what were some struggles that you were facing as a bootstrapping entrepreneur who really at that time you were doing it all yourself? Oh, yeah. I mean, woo, there's so many. In the very beginning, when I started finally following my passions to become a freelance writer, um, I had a ton of imposter syndrome. I really suffered selling myself to clients because it felt awkward. It was it was a complete shift from selling advertising, which something else is the product, to then selling me as the product. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much baggage that goes along with that. Um, knowing what to charge, having boundaries was really difficult for me. If a client needed something else, I was constantly going out of my way, not really just to do a good job, but almost to prove I was a good person. Aha. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. It, it's so enmeshed with our own feelings of self-esteem and who we are when you start working for yourself because it's hard to separate the two. Um, I definitely struggled a little bit with understanding how to grow the business when you are so busy in the business. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing to do when you want to start pursuing other projects that are either more lucrative or more aligned with your interests, but then you're already kind of like stuck in the daily rigmarole of your actual clients and figuring out how to grow and how to make smart decisions and prioritize things well. Yeah, there's, there's a ton. You name it, I went through it. So speaking of imposter syndrome, it's so common for entrepreneurs to have those feelings. And your book goes in deep dealing with this and with crushing it. So what advice would you give someone who is struggling with imposter syndrome, other than obviously go buy the book, but if they're <laughs> sitting there, like what, what should they do if they've got those thoughts in their heads and it's stopping them, like blocking them from taking that first step to start their business? Gosh, yeah. Oh, 
I mean, the hardest part about it is that none of us are seeing ourselves objectively. You cannot possibly see yourself and your own talents and what you're worth objectively because we're all subjectively looking at ourselves through our own lens. And that's the hardest part because I think that so many of us are 3,000 times more valuable to our clients than we even realize we are. But we don't, we don't know that. So one of the things that I like to do is keep as much evidence on hand as possible. This is going to sound annoying, but it is really useful when it comes to imposter syndrome. Keep as much evidence as possible. So I have folders in my email for praise. I have a, a little notebook that I'll keep sometimes, or sometimes I'll do it just like in my notes on Apple where I will start logging. If I'm kind of struggling with something or I'm trying something new or I'm feeling overwhelmed and like, ah, um, I'll keep no, <laughs> I'll keep notes of all the things I am accomplishing and doing and uh, how well I actually handled certain things because when you start to see it on paper, it's really hard to deny that evidence. Yes. Like it's like, look, like I, I'm actually great. And I did great today and this week and this month. And look at all of these things I've already done. If I've done these things, I can certainly do this other. But we forget. It's just so easy to forget. And that's when you start feeling like an imposter, when you can't see yourself objectively. That's such great advice. It's so easy to focus on things when things don't go right or you feel nervous, but really to remember like, oh yeah, I killed it that day. I handled this big or small task. You have to remember that. So putting on paper, I love that. Yeah, and I will also say... I mean, what I discovered in the real world, quote unquote, was that everyone really is just making it up as they go along every day. And when you really realize that, then it's so much easier to start taking a risk yourself and just guess yourself because everyone else in the world is guessing. They're just better at hiding the fact that they're guessing. Yes. The very best thing we can always do is just try because no one is actually better than you. Totally. That's so good. <laughs> they aren't. Yeah, they aren't. Is your blog legal? As a website owner, you are required to have a privacy policy page, terms and conditions page, and an affiliate disclosure page. If you don't have these pages on your website, you are not protected in case of a problem. Fortunately, you don't have to shell out thousands of dollars to have a lawyer create these pages for you. The legal bundle contains a fill-in-the-blank template for each of those required pages that your website needs. It includes all of the information that you must have to legally protect your blog or website. And it's drafted by a lawyer. To get your copy of the legal bundle, visit herpaperroot.com slash legal bundle and you will be good to go. Another thing that many entrepreneurs struggle with is what you call the dream zappers. Who are the dream zappers and how should they be dealt with? Ugh. So we've got two camps of dream zappers. <laughs> we've got the uh, really snarky, uh, cutty, passive aggressive dream zapper that you will deal with at one point who's going to be sometimes showing up in the form of your your friends and people that you kind of know just peripherally who will say little snarky comments to you. I remember I used to get this a lot when I started blogging. People would always say to me like, 
So, you know, how's your blog? How's it? Yeah. How's it going? <laughs> they would say it with that tone. You know, what were you doing today? Were you off blogging? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's that silly little hobby that you do. Yes. And meanwhile, you're like, motherfucker, I am killing it over here. If you only knew yeah. what my bank account looked like right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I remember a one friend of mine told me straight up in her kitchen, she was just so surprised that anyone read my blog because wasn't it like common sense? <laughs> Such a burn. I remember. And that's supposed to be your friend. Oh, I remember just like oh, looking at her like, did that just come out of your mouth right now? And I just said that because it's like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, so rude. Yeah, those people, I really don't pay much attention to them. I will just shut them down directly like that. But I think the harder camp of dream zapper is the person who actually is looking out for you and does want the best for you. Typically, it's your parents, your spouse, your sister. They think you're making a bad mistake. You're being foolish. You're not being grateful. And I think that the advice that you should be grateful for what you've got is some of the world's most poor advice we could be listening to. It keeps us stuck. It keeps us spinning in these cycles and patterns that are not helpful at all. It keeps you trapped in this feeling of guilt, like you should be grateful. Um, But those are the hard ones to deal with because you know that it comes from a good place, quote unquote, and you also can't wreck your relationship with that person. So to them, I would say that it's important to just understand where you're getting your sources from when it comes to your decision-making. Because while we typically do turn to family for their advice, when it comes to doing something big and brave and bold, like just quitting your job to travel or start Mm -hmm. your own business, I don't think that they're the appropriate source. I think that unless someone has done what you want to do, they're not educated and they're not qualified to comment on what, you know, what the outcome may or may not be. So it's like, going to the sawmill to ask them to dye your hair. That's a horrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> right? But still, we will go to Sister Sarah, who's an accountant, to ask her what she thinks about becoming a photographer and doing a creative career that is not in her wheelhouse. So she doesn't have experience doing it. She's just simply not qualified to actually give you a an educated response. And I think you just have to weigh that. Totally. Unless they are running the type of business that you are, they really have no idea what goes into it. And, you know, we all have our loved ones. We want their support, but they don't get it. And that's okay. They're not really supposed to get it. Um, So I love how you say that they're coming from a place of love and they're looking out for you, but it's not actually in your best interest. Yeah. And you are an adult and you get to make your own decisions and you just have to weigh, uh, put the the appropriate amount of weight on different sources that you get opinions from, Mm. uh, right? And I also think, too, that it is very disturbing that this is the case, but it's true. When you start making money, all of a sudden everyone shuts up. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. It's like money means success. That's what it is. So they just see that like, oh, okay, she's fine now. And I hate that. I I do hate that because you're not going to be making money at first. So it's like this thing that they need to see to prove that it's a good decision, but it's not going to happen right away. But then when it does, everyone just calms their jets. Yep, that's right. That's what happens. So yeah, that's that's just, (laughs) I don't know what to say about that just besides that it's it sucks. 
It is. There's nothing, there's no cure for it. But I think just for people hearing you say that who may be having that feeling or dealing with that in their family, I think that's really encouraging. So, you know, just stick, stick to your guns, keep doing what you want to do and don't expect people to support you because usually, you know, when the money shows up, those people tend to come around and you don't need their support. You don't. Oh, yeah. Like, yes, the folks that come out of the woodwork. I mean, even now to this day, when I go back to my hometown, people are like, okay, so I know you blog and you make money doing it, but I don't understand how. So could you tell me? Can you show me? And it's just a whole different conversation than used to happen of like, right? yeah, okay. Like, you know, you and your blog, have a good time. <laughs> yeah. And now everybody wants to know how to do it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's sick. <laughs> Another thing that you warn women about is the importance of having your own money so that you have the ability to choose. Can you speak on that a little bit? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that so much of the work that I do is actually focused on helping women make more money when they decide to take a talent that they have and sell it to somebody else because having money is is something that gives you so much more control and helps you do the kinds of things you want to do. And, um, you know, I, I personally have found myself in situations prior when I might have been forced to make different decisions than I would have made had I felt financially secure. And that's a hard pill to swallow because how much of your life is being lived mm -hmm. based on your lack of money? What decisions are you making that are based on whether or not you think uh, you have enough yes. to take this risk. I want everyone to have enough to take whatever risks they want to mm -hmm. take. Not have to ask for it. Yeah. I, I, I don't think any woman should be in a position to have to ask their husband for money, for example, mm -hmm. or have to ask their husband permission for, you know, some things, of course, that make sense. But it doesn't make sense when it comes to following your passions and doing something you like doing every day. Yeah. So, yeah. So I do... I do work a lot with women on getting the confidence and courage to sell themselves just well and beautifully whenever they're meeting with clients because I know what it's like back in the day when I had to figure it out for myself. I was like, how do I do this? And how do I feel good about this? Because so much of it can feel icky when it's not done right. Yep. Oh, definitely. So much of that too is the difference between showing up to any client interaction as a freelancer versus an advisor. Mm -hmm. And freelancers, if you think about it, freelancers are the ones who take orders. But an advisor is someone who gives them. So when you work with any client, I would encourage you to look at it from the perspective of how would the dynamic change if I believed myself to be a valuable advisor to this client and not just an order taker, because you're going to end up showing up to the conversation much differently than you would if you f just felt like you were some puny little freelancer. When that <laughs> happens, you get on the phone and you're kind of like, you start talking about yourself and you're like, okay, you know, here's my experience and here's all the things that I've done and the awards they've won and here's my portfolio and, I, you know, do, I, do you have any questions kind of a thing. Whereas if you get on the phone as an advisor, you're going to be asking the client questions and you're going to be prompting the client to talk the entire time. And what you should be doing is listening very carefully, 
between the lines. So what I will do on those calls is afterwards, I'm going to say, okay, great. So here's what I'd like to do next. Let's hop off the phone. I'm going to regroup. I'm going to put together a couple of options that I think would work really well for you. And then I'm going to send them over by whatever time, you know, tonight, tomorrow. And then let's hop back on to discuss um, because I think that I could come up with, you know, a couple of great ways that would be super helpful, whatever. And then I will go to my desk and I'll sit there and I'll put together three different packages for a client. I never just give them one price quote ever. I will always give them the first price quote is exactly what they told me they wanted. Just the bare basics of what they said they wanted. The second package is going to be more expensive and it's going to be everything they wanted plus what I heard when I was reading between the lines of what they actually need. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know how sometimes that's not the same? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, a lot of times clients would come to me for copywriting, but what they really, really needed was branding help and marketing help and someone to coach them through online business and figuring all the tech stuff out, right? Yep. So uh, that would be the second package. And then the third package would be a pitch for everything I could do for that client, like within my human means, (laughs) Uh, within the realm, of course, of whatever they're coming to me for. So when you do it that way, you're able to change the conversation from yes or no to which one should I go with? And it helps with imposter syndrome too, because then you can say to the client, like, so here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I think would be awesome for you. I'm going to let you decide, but here are these three ideas And here are some recommendations. Here's what I really think would be awesome if you wanted to implement, if you wanted to consider it, we could work out a couple of different payment plans or something like that. You will find time and time again, the clients always go with a higher package than the basic Mm -hmm. one. It's amazing. And the way that you speak like that is positioning yourself as the authority and the person who knows their stuff. And the client wants to feel that they can trust in you. So I love how you put that together. So much so. I always say like no client is ever helping hiring you to be unhelpful. So (laughs) you have to be as helpful as possible. And when the client sees that, they feel like you really do care and they feel like you've put the time and effort and energy into thinking about their particular situation. Oftentimes they didn't even know that you could do half of those things. And they'd be like, wow, this is great. Of course I would love for you to do that. Yeah. Um, It's like if – you know, if Target releases a new collaboration or your favorite artist puts out a new, a new album, no one's mad about it. And if uh, you offer your client to solve all their problems, they're not going to be mad about it either. <laughs> they're going to love you. I am always adding new lessons to the courses over at Her Paper Root Academy. That's where you can score my training on Pinterest, blogging, email marketing, online business development, and a whole lot more. Swing by herpaperroot.com slash courses and enter code podcast at checkout to get a sweet discount as a thank you for tuning into the podcast. I'm on your mailing list and you recently sent an email detailing a conversation that you had with the person who delivered your Christmas tree that you bought online. (laughs) And I thought it was so funny. And he made one marketing mistake that I think every business owner needs to be reminded of because we've all made this mistake at one point or another. Um, Can you tell us what that was? Yeah, that's a hoot. Um, (laughs) uh, So he was lovely. I ordered my Christmas tree online. Oh, there's a company locally here in Philadelphia that will bring you your Christmas tree 
if you place the order on their website, et cetera. So I did that. And when the guy showed up, they bring it upstairs. You know, he had the stand. He put it in the stand. He gave it water. He set it all up. And at some point, we were going back and forth. And I was like, God, I love this. I love you guys. Thank you for saving my life. I'm on the third floor. So I didn't I didn't know how to even drag a Christmas tree up here by myself. <laughs> and uh, he and I started talking. And I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to get this out of here come January. But, uh, you know, I'll figure it out then, kind of laughing. And he was like, oh, you know, well, we, we offer tree removal. And I was like, you do not awesome and he was like yep and and then he left (laughs) (laughs) missed opportunity and then he left and i was like this bozo did not pull out some kind of a phone app where he could have just signed me up right then and there for the date and time to come get my tree and make an extra 30 bucks which is what they're charging like i could not believe he did not line up the next sale Yes. And he's just hoping that you'll remember. Yes. And then I, I literally, I thought about this way too much. I thought about it way more than any person should have because <laughs> it just boggled my mind how many missed opportunities most people are probably having. Uh, I, I waited. I waited for an email reminder <laughs> prompting me to, to schedule this thing. You know, I waited for some kind of text message. I waited for a phone call. I waited for <laughs> like anything where these people are going to be like, hey, don't forget to schedule your removal. <laughs> well, you know what I'm just thinking now? Maybe that was all part of their plan because here we are talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> it was actually the best marketing ever. Highly doubtful. And it's, and it's not because I I'm not saying the name because I don't want them to feel bad. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to use it as an example because I'm thinking, you know, you should really always line up the sale, especially if your client is sitting there saying, "Wow, that's great!" Take their money right then and there. Absolutely, that's such an important thing. <laughs> <laughs> Take that money. That is the time you say, "Yeah, do you want to do it? Let's do it." All right, hang on. I got the app right here. <laughs> I love what a baller you are with sales and money and all that confidence that you have around it. And I know a lot of people do not have that confidence or they haven't built up that confidence yet. And as women, we tend to be, you know, we we can sometimes have trouble with the selling side of starting our businesses and taking money and believing in the value that is in our services and products. And in your book, you have a wonderful tip about thinking about sales like it's a hot dog. (laughs) So I don't know if you were able just to give a little, like, I don't want to give it all away, but just a little sample of what that is about. No, we can talk about it. I mean, this is this is the whole point is to help as many, many women as possible make as much money as possible so they can do whatever they want. Um, (laughs) No, it's called the hot dog theory of money. And I mean, A, hot dogs are hilarious. And B, it just really simplifies this interaction of taking money from a client, which we overcomplicate and overthink and guilt ourselves for. We have this really weird narrative as women around, um, you know, being nice versus being rich. And the two Mm -hmm. seem to be mutually exclusive for us. Uh, 
right? But they're not. Yeah. They're not. And I think there's also a lot of narrative around, you know, you see a woman who's financially successful and a lot of people think like, oh, well, how did she get there? And she must be catty and she must have slept her way to the top. And (laughs) oh, there's all these horrible things that women say about other women. But the truth of it is, um, if you were a vendor (laughs) selling hot dogs at the Jersey Shore, (laughs) (laughs) and a customer comes up to you and they're like hey i want a hot dog how much for a hot dog (laughs) you're gonna say a dollar 75 right and you're not gonna you're not gonna be weird about it (laughs) you're not gonna negotiate you're not gonna start offering discounts before you even tell the price You're, you're not gonna apologize for it you're not gonna like you know like get all weird and clammy and stuttery you're just gonna say what the hot dog costs the hot dog costs what the hot dog costs for a reason they have factored in all of their costs in selling a hot dog and they've also factored in a fun little line item called profit (laughs) (laughs) and similarly you and your prices are what they are because that's what they are. It is a declarative statement. <laughs> there's there's no hem and hawing about it. It's a declarative statement. And all of those things are hopefully factored into your rates. And also, you must not forget to factor in your own profit. Because if you're working without making a profit and you're just breaking even, then what you effectively have is a nonprofit. So... <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're starting the next Make of Wish Foundation, we need that to be a line item, and you need to get comfortable with just stating your prices as a. It, it's just a simple fact. There's really nothing more about it. And the clients that say yes to you, they're not doing it because they're dumb and they've been somehow bamboozled. They're doing it because they believe that that is worth it mm-hmm. to them. I mean, they're making that decision on their own accord, and it's not for you to make. So, I'd say. You know, price yourself with all of the things you need to factor into it and then feel comfortable just making some statements. Hey, here's how I can help you. Here's how much it costs. Mm-hmm. Want to do it? Yep. <laughs> uh, you, do you want a hot dog, man? Like, it's that simple. And sometimes people are not going to want a hot dog. Maybe they're, they're not hungry. Maybe they don't eat meat. Maybe they just do not like the idea of hot dogs at all. Um, and that's okay. It's really not personal. That's powerful stuff. That's good. <laughs> it really is. Oh, God. I hope that doesn't end up on my gravestone somehow. Like, founder of the hot dog theory of money. Hey, that would be pretty cool. Let's get, get that up on your Wikipedia page. Oh, I would have to have a very creative tombstone. I might have to be buried just so I can write something funny on my, my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> this took a dark turn. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you and the Middle Finger Project have planned for 2020? Oh, wow. Well, you know, selling a book is a full-time job. It's it's wild. I didn't realize it, but they do say that once you submit your manuscript, the real work starts. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. not kidding. Uh, it's great. It's super fun. I really want to do some kind of a fun tour, but not a book tour. Um I just feel like those are so ego-driven. It's like, hey, come watch me sign a bunch of books. <laughs> hey, but if you did like a stand-up tour, that would be amazing. That could be way better. I'm thinking something more along those lines. I want to, if I'm going to take the time and money to travel around, I want to help people. I want it to be worth it. I want to have fun with it. I want to do something with video. Oh yeah. 
Someone just said to me yesterday, it was so funny. They were like, you know what you should do? You should go out on the streets and do these like street style interviews um, where you have your book and you stop people on the street with a camcorder. Oh, oh my God. I just used the word camcorder. Did I just say <laughs> yeah. it myself? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hashtag old. Um, <clears throat> where you stop people on the streets and you say to them, hey, I just published a book. It's called The Middle Finger Project. What do you think it's about? <laughs> That's genius. You should totally do that. Have a YouTube channel. Put it up on your channel and get the reactions. Could you imagine? I mean, clearly I'm not going to do a national tour with that, but I mean, I want to have fun like that. I want to I want to go to small towns instead of big cities. I want to talk to real people. I want the girls in those small towns especially. That's kind of like my passion project for this this overall project is to find the small town young girls and mm-hmm. show them what they can do because that's where I came from and no, I didn't have anyone showing me those things. So I really want that to happen. I want to I want to just play around. I want to put up billboards outside of like companies that were voted like 100 worst to work for. <laughs> or like wait outside of them and harass people out, outside and just videotape the whole thing. <laughs> videotape with your camcorder. Do it. With my camcorder, yes. <laughs> oh, this, you're just so funny. You're so great. <laughs> Can you imagine? I would definitely get maced at some point. Oh, I probably. Mean. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why I wrote a book. I really just wanted to, to get maced in the streets and have a reason to be a clown. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> now, Ash, before you go, there is one thing, one last thing I have to ask. Earlier, I rattled off a bunch of similarities that you and I have in common. But there's one thing in your book that you said that is very controversial. And I can't let you leave before you explain. Oh, God. What is it? (laughs) You said, and I quote, cereal is bullshit. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is my favorite way to end any interview ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, do you have the rest of the sentence there by chance? (laughs) I do, but I want to hear it just based on that. (laughs) There was context there (laughs) you know what it is it's like my my darling fiance carlos he really likes cookie crisp and i'm like what the are you eating man that is not food (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing to yourself so i have like a thing against cereal yeah he likes it too much. <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> and he justifies it because it's like it's a breakfast food. I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, it's not. Yeah, that kind of cereal, that's just junk food. That is like just candy for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, and also why are you able to eat that every day and just be like a skinny string bean and I'm over here like Fatty <laughs> McGee, like eating my bananas <laughs> and my peanut butter and my, you know, rice <laughs> cakes <laughs> oh well rice cakes are good i'm down with rice cakes for sure <laughs> ash thank you so much for gracing us with your incredible intelligent and refreshing <laughs> presence because you're just an awesome human thank you you're awesome i, I i'm gonna die for the rest of the week with that whole cereals <laughs> bullshit thing <laughs> everyone go and get the middle finger project right now it's on amazon yes and it's also by the way i'll get in trouble if i don't say it it's also on barnes and noble and target and walmart and books a million and in and all the other places where books are sold. Yes, go get one for each of your girlfriends for Valentine's Day. I like that plan. It's a good plan. 
everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Connect with Ash over at themiddlefingerproject.org and scoop up the Middle Finger Project book today. To learn more, go to herpaperroot.com slash ash, where we have a list of all the places you can buy her book. We're also giving away a resource kit of tools for free right now to help you start, grow, and scale your online business today. That's herpaperroot.com slash A-S-H. Yes, thanks guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Her Paper Root podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please say so by leaving us a review on iTunes. For more entrepreneurship resources and to connect with Chelsea, swing by herpaperroot.com. Now go make something. Yep, yep, yep.